0: Last week we uh, we looked at whether you can trust the Bible and how we got the Bible. And uh, if you didn't get that message, you can get it online. And we're talking about how the Da Vinci Code makes some pretty wild claims about the Bible, about Jesus, about um, Mary Magdalene, lots of things that are going on. And what we've decided is we're going to do a whole segment called You Make the Call. And I described this last week, but basically what it is, is... Back in the day, the NFL, they would have a play, kind of a controversial play. They would show you the play, and they would say, you make the call. And then you would try to make that call. You would decide what was going to happen there, and then they'd go to commercial break. They would come back, and they would tell you the results of the play. And uh, you'd see if you got it right. So you'd learn about things, and, and then you would make the call. You would be more educated next time. So what I want to do is I want to give you some claims that the Da Vinci Code makes, and then I want you to make the call. All right, here's, here's a claim from the Da Vinci Code, page 133. It says, Constantine and his male successors successfully converted the world from matriarchal paganism to patriarchal Christianity by waging a, co- a campaign of propaganda that demonized the sacred fem- feminine, obliterating the goddess from modern worship or modern religion forever. All right. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. I couldn't even read it without getting tangled up. That's a mouthful there. So, here's what I want I want to do is I want you to make the call. I'm going to present some evidence to you today. You make the call about whether the Da Vinci Code is reliable or the Bible is reliable. All right, the first thing on your listening guide. The very first point is this. History has been more male-led than female-led. Now, don't get up in arms. Don't get up in arms because I'm I'm not going to to go off in, in some tangent here, all I'm doing is trying to declare to you what basically has happened. Now, there have been uh, incredible female leaders both inside and outside the church. That's not what I'm talking about. There have been leaders who have been female. But what I'm saying is, on the whole, as you read history, as you studied history in school, as you, um, as you just look at the history channel, most of the time in history, it's been a male-led society rather than a female-led society. Dan Brown wants you to believe that before Christianity, women were held in high regard. Is that true? Alright, we're going to look at some stuff. We're going to put this right here. This is going to be our timeline this week. And this is going to be Jesus Christ. Alright, this is when Jesus was born. And then, this is going to be His death. So I'll put a little cross there. That was in roughly 33 A.D. Dan Brown says that before Jesus Christ... That goddesses were worshipped, and that all these different um, uh, societies held women in high regard. Well, let me give you some examples that I came across in research this week. Now, if you um, in in Greece, I want to put these down so that you can refer back to them. Greece, India, and China before the time of Christ, women had no rights. And they were considered as property of their husbands. Now, somebody might say, well, that's only the uneducated, right? Ah, not so, not so. You ever heard of Aristotle? We're just going to put up here a big A for Aristotle. Anybody know when Aristotle lived? 384 B.C. That's when he was born. Aristotle taught that women were somewhere between a man and a slave. Not equal to a man, but not as low as a slave, somewhere in between. Ah, before that, though, Plato. I'm going to put a P up here and you're just going to have to know what that is because I ran out of room. Plato. Plato was alive in 427 to 347 B.C. Plato was a student of Socrates. Are these thinking people that I'm mentioning here? You've heard of their philosophies, right? If you go to college, you're going to study their philosophies. Plato taught that if a man lived a cowardly life, he would be reincarnated as a woman. Now, is that a favorable view of women? I don't know. You may be saying, yeah, he's going to move up the food chain. Ladies are saying that, right. If he's a coward, you know, then he gets to go and do the good life. You could argue that. In Greece, women, especially wives, were not allowed to leave their homes unescorted. They, uh, if, if they had a dinner party at their home the wife was not allowed to be at the dinner party. She was confined to her room. However, in Greece, mistresses were allowed to accompany married men in public. I'm just telling you what I found. In Athens, women had the social status of a slave. They were not educated. They were not allowed to speak in public. Silence was considered the great grace of a woman, even at home. And I don't want to hear any comments from you men right now. I I know some of you, you just keep... Women were thought to be the source of evil and were not to be trusted. Now, (laughs) the source of evil, you know, not just a source, but the source of evil, and you couldn't trust them. Now, was Christianity, as presented in the New Testament, an attempt by men to gain control over women? You're going to make the call as we talk about this. The irony of this question is that one of the most radical things about Jesus was the seriousness with which He took women. As presented in the New Testament. Now, by way of background, some of you know that, that, they're, that the teachers in the Jewish time were called rabbis. So we're going to put the Jews right here, right before the time of Christ. They were called rabbis. And in many traditions, women were not held in high regard. Not in all, but in most of the traditions in the Jewish rabbi teaching, women were not held in high regard. And, and one of the ancient teachings of these rabbis was that it was better for the Torah. Now, I've got to explain that. Define that for you. Torah equals the writings of Moses. Somebody tell me what those writings were. First five books of the Bible. You may also have heard it referred to as the Pentateuch. Pentateuch being five. These are the the, the writings of Moses. What are the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Alright, so now you understand what Torah is. This this rabbi teaching would say that it would be better for the Torah to be burned than to be taught to a woman. Is that a high view of women? I don't think so. One of the common prayers of this day of the rabbis began with these words. Blessed art thou, O God, who did not create me a woman, who did not make me a woman. There were actually a group of rabbis, I am not making this up, I wish I were. There were a group of rabbis that were so committed that not only would they not talk to a woman, not only would they not teach a woman, but they had committed for the rest of their lives never to look upon another woman. So as they were walking down the road, this, I'm not making this up, as they were walking down the road, if, if a woman would come into the, the corner of their eyes, in their line of sight, They would close their eyes, continue to do whatever it was they were doing, until they were quite certain that the woman was out of their line of view. They were forever falling off of things, running into trees, hitting people, doing all kinds of stuff. I'm not making it up. They were called the bleeding and bruised rabbis. They would rather hurt their bodies than look at a woman. Why? Because they considered women source of evil. Now, is this a high view of women? No. No. Even the Gnostic Gospels, we talked about them a little bit last week, even the Gnostic Gospels that Dan Brown keeps uh, quoting or, or, or referring to that's supposed to have a, a high view of women, back in the day that wasn't true, because this comes from the very last part of the Gospel of Thomas, I rep- referenced this last week. Simon Peter said, let Mary leave us, talking about Mary Magdalene, let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. Doesn't sound very pro-woman to me. So why would Dan Brown quote that as saying that women were considered the sacred feminine? If you go to the movie. How many of you have seen the movie? I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to try to go tomorrow. How many of you have read the book? By the way, what we've, what we've said is if you are interested in reading the book, just so that you'll know... There are several of us who have read it, I've read it, and we're just going to bring copies up here and we can just pass it around so that you don't have to buy it. Because um, that's part of Dan Brown's agenda is he wants to put money in his pocket, so we'll just pass those around. doesn't sound very pro-women. The reality is that women have not held many leadership positions in society. But Jesus was radically different, and I'm going to show you some radically different things about Jesus. In a time where women were considered property, were not allowed to testify in a court of law, and where a woman could be divorced for burning her husband's toast, Jesus elevated women to another level. Somebody said amen over there. Goodness. We, we do offer counseling and you're going to need it. Um, please see me before you leave because you ain't going to make it home alive. Uh, Alright, so the first thing is just history tends to be more male-dominated than female-dominated. There is no such thing as this, this time in history where women were, were elevated above men. It does not exist, except in Dan Brown's imagination. Second point is this. Jesus was the very first feminist. Now, before some of you have a heart attack over that statement, let me define what I mean by that. If by making the statement that Jesus was the first feminist, you mean, did Jesus raise the value of women in the first century? The answer is yes. Yes. Feminism as we know it is largely a political uh, movement to equate the sexes in both value and roles. Now Jesus would agree with the value part of it. Men and women are equally valuable in the eyes of God. Men are not superior to women nor women inferior or vice versa in God's economy. It does not exist that way. It is clear though that God has designed different roles for men and women. All you have to do is study the scripture and you'll find that. The personal value of a man and the personal value of a woman are not tied to what they do or what they're responsible for. Does that make sense? So if you're just talking simply about raising the value of women, Jesus did that. And I'm going to show you how. It's clear that Jesus looked favorably on women. One instance, he spoke to a Samaritan woman who was at the well getting some water. She was alone drawing water from the well. And a man in Palestine, especially someone like Jesus who was considered a rabbi in that day, would be committing political suicide to talk to a woman alone, even in broad daylight. If you look at the Scripture, you'll see that it was around noon that she was out there because she was a social outcast. So he would be committing political suicide. But Jesus didn't give a rip about politics. He was always doing things that surprised people. So when His disciples returned, their response shows us um, what the society thought of that day about a man, especially a rabbi, talking to a woman alone. John four twenty seven. Just then his disciples arrived. They were astonished to find him talking to a woman, but none of them asked him why uh, asked him why he was doing it or what he had been t- discussing. Many translations, like the New International Version. Um, Translate this this word that's translated astonished, they translate it surprised. But surprised is not a big enough uh, term for this. If you look at the actual Greek word, the definition is to be astonished. It denotes incredulous surprise. Now, by way of this backdrop, society did not view women highly. Jesus viewed women highly. I want to read you some scripture from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 8. After this, while Jesus was traveling through some cities and small towns, He preached and told the good news about God's kingdom. The twelve apostles were with Him, and also some women who had been healed of sicknesses and evil spirits. Mary, called Magdalene, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's house, Susanna and many others. These women use their own money to help Jesus and his apostles. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment, because what we tend to do is we skim over these verses as if they're no big deal. But they actually uh, contain some things that if you were in the first century and you were reading this and you were from the Jewish society, you would be utterly shocked at what was going on there. Jesus forms this little community that is made up of both women and men. And this little community of women and men, they study together, they travel together, they learn together, and they're going all over the countryside doing ministry together. Do you have any idea how radical that was in the first century to a Jewish mind? Can you imagine the kind of rumors that would be going around if you've got this little community of men and women going around teaching and hanging out together and doing stuff together? Rumors would be rampant in that day. And I want you to look at the last line. These women used their own money to help Jesus and His apostles. Who's paying the bills for this little community? The women were. Now, in our day, have you ever heard, you know, sometimes guys are sensitive if the woman makes more than he does? I don't want any testimonies. I'm just saying, have you heard that? Now, not only did Jesus not consider this a a bad thing, he welcomed it that the women had money and they were paying the bills. Jesus was constantly surprising his disciples by the way he he listened to, he talked to, he was approachable by women. He turned the world upside down. And this led to the formation of this little community that in the words of the Apostle Paul uh, was featured this way, Galatians 3.28. In Christ, there is no difference between Jew and Greek, slave and free person, male and female. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. I want you to circle those words in Christ, in Christ to start that sentence. Where do distinctions cease to exist? You just circle them. Okay, let's try again. Where I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Some of you are tired. Okay. where do distinctions cease to exist? Thank you for playing. Um. Where are men and women treated as equally special? In Christ. in Christ, OK, you almost went down, but you came there on there at the end. Do you understand that there had never been a community like this in the history of the world? Never had equality of the sexes been held up there as a high value. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. The problem is, most local churches are not working right. And that's why men and women are seen in different ways. The Da Vinci Code says that pagan religions, such as those of Rome, gave greater honor to women than Christianity did um, because they had goddesses as well as gods. They call the sacred feminine. I got so tired of reading about the sacred feminine in this book. The reality is, is, in the early centuries, women flocked to the church. Now, here's why. In Rome, when a woman became a widow, if she was not remarried within two years... She could be penalized for that because she was a financial drag on the state. Do you remember what the teaching of the church was? The Christian church? Women, widowed women were honored and the care of that widow was taken care of by the community. If you're a widow in that day, are you going to trust Rome, which supposedly, you know, treats women higher because they have goddess worship, or are you going to go to the Christian church? If you have a severe need, you're probably going to go to the Christian church, and that's the whole point. Um, in the church, widowhood was honored. Historian Robin Fox writes, "It is highly likely that women were a clear majority in the early church." Now, why would that be? Because the church valued them. The Christians valued them. There was a church in Certa, uh, the city of Serta, that was seized during persecution. Because during the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were persecuted, especially um, under Diocletian, the emperor Diocletian. They were they were killed for their faith. People were being martyred all the time. Rather than say, oh, this is a fake or this didn't really happen, they were dying for their faith. And so this little community was seized during um, persecution and, and only fairly recently have archaeologists discovered this city of Serta. And here's what they found in this little community, this Christian community. 16 male tunics. Now, what would that tell you? There were at least 16 males who attended this little church in Serta. But they also found 38 veils, all of which would have been worn by women. There was none. Never mind. We won't even go there. Back then, the veil would have been worn by a woman, um, not by Dennis Rodman um, or Ricky Williams, if you know who he is. They also found the 38 veils, 82 women's tunics, 47 pairs of female slippers and six copies of Oprah magazine. I'm just making the Oprah thing up, but everything else is true. I'm just making sure you're still listening. Come on. Um, man, this is, a, this is a dead crowd today. We may have to stand up and do some jumping jacks. Um, women found the church to be a place of incredible acceptance, and so they flocked there because they were treated as equal in the eyes of God. Now, here's the third thing that, from the Da Vinci Code. Third point. Jesus was not married Some of you have already read the back of your listening guide, and I gave you just some talking points there. Jesus was not married. And here's how we know that no text, all right, no text, I want you to read my lips, no text, not the four Gospels in the New Testament, which contain um, information about Jesus, nor any of the Gnostic Gospels ever found on on, on this planet including, you know, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, all of those things. They're Gnostic writings, they've, they're heretical, they've been proven false. And even this latest Gospel of Judas, never in any of those writings. One uh, scholar I read, he said he has 38 volumes of everything written in the first couple of hundred years from the time of Christ. Everything ever written, he studied him, He said, not once do you find anything that says anything about Jesus being married. In the New Testament Gospels or in the Gnostic texts. People have flat out made this up. So this um, Daryl Bach, research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary says this. John Crossan and I were both asked to write articles for BeliefNet.com about whether Jesus was married when the novel came out. He is a liberal. I am a conservative. Here's what I like. We both agreed that Jesus was single. I tell my classes that when a liberal and a conservative believe something is true about the historical Jesus, then it is probably true In sum, there is no evidence Jesus was ever married. If this is so, the entire backdrop of the novel collapses. All right? Now, part of the irony and hype about whether Mary Magdalene was Mrs. Jesus is that what gets missed is her incredible, extraordinary role in the New Testament. Now, at the foot of the cross, whenever Jesus is being crucified, and um, according to the Gospels written by men, have you, all right? The four New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written by men, according to these Gospels, at the foot of the cross, when all the men had run away for fear of following Jesus too closely that they might be crucified, might have something bad happen to them. When all of the men had run away, scared, and were hiding, do you know who was at the foot of the cross? Women. Specifically, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were there. Now, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. The only religious belief system that I've ever found that says you want to disprove this religion. Here's the one thing you got to do. Paul says, you want to disprove Christianity? Then you disprove the resurrection. Because everything about Christianity rises and falls on whether Jesus died, was put in the grave, and came back from the grave. If you disprove that, then Christianity falls. He says, your faith is worthless. You are delusional. You are still living in your sins. Christianity hinges on the resurrection. And the testimony of that resurrection was first revealed to whom? Mary Magdalene. And then to another Mary. So here's here's the, the, the significance of that. According to John, Mary Magdalene was the first and primary witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for this reason, she has been called the apostle to the apostles. Apostles are eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus appears to Mary. What does He tell her to do? Go tell my disciples who are hiding in a room with the door locked for fear that they're going to get in trouble. You go tell them that I have raised from the dead. Now, this is significant because anybody who, who did not have a high view of women would never put that in, the, in their writings about Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because women could not testify in a court of law. Back in Jesus' day, if a hundred women saw a murder, they were witnesses to a murder, they could not testify in a court of law. Now, it's a fact that Roman historian by the name of Celsus, part of this pagan society that supposedly honored women because they had goddess worship in in addition to God worship. He wrote this, Celsus wrote, the resurrection rests on tales of hysterical females. (laughs) So not only do you have Christians saying that the resurrection was first seen by women, you also have non-Christians hostile to Christianity saying that the resurrection was first seen by women. Jesus once again turned the world upside down in His approach to, um, to by appearing to women first after the resurrection. Now, contrary to the Da Vinci Code, when the Bible speaks of God as Father, it does not mean that God is more like men than He is like women. Does God have a male body? No. Does God like men better than God likes women? No. Does God like action movies better than chick flicks? Yes, of course He does, but that's just good taste and common sense. There's nothing theological about that. Now, the Bible writers are careful to say that God is spirit. He doesn't have a body that defines gender like we do and that woman uh that women as well as men are equally this is the deal equally co-bearers of the image of god has the church always lived up to that no we talked about that in our in our um da vinci code small group this morning the church has not always lived up to the ideals that jesus christ did we got we got to be honest about that um but a careful study of the scripture shows that god's intent was for men and women to be in this community co-bearers co-equal Uh, Co-bearers of God's image and co-equals. So, different roles for men and women, a resounding yes. Different value for men and women, a resounding no. That's the way Jesus did it. Now, one more question that I've got for you that I want to ask you to make the call on today. The Da Vinci Code, as we showed last week, was completely wrong in in how the Bible was established. Um, Today, we've talked about how the Da Vinci Code is completely wrong in how the Bible portrays women. Now, I have one last scenario, one question for you to make the call. Is the Da Vinci Code good history? Good history. In other words, is Christianity on shaky historical ground? Now, let's let, not the Da Vinci Code, Christianity. Let's, let's look at this. The Da Vinci Code is a work of fiction, and it's supposed to be enjoyed as that. But because it's a work of fiction, there are no footnotes. What does that mean? No footnotes means you can't look up as references. He did not write this expecting to be reviewed by his peers. Now, in the small group studies, we're talking. Uh, Lee Strobel is talking to experts in the field who will give you pages and pages of documentation. They'll give you a bibliography. You can go on websites and and find the books. We've even given you some books on on your listening guide today that you can read if you want to find out more about this stuff. But the Da Vinci Code was never intended to uh, to be. Studied that way. Why? Because if you're not worried about accuracy, you can write whatever you want to write. And you don't have to worry about anybody taking you to task. As history, there are a lot of problems with the Da Vinci Code. Here's one more quote from it. This is one of the the lead characters says, Fortunately for historians, some of the Gospels Constantine attempted to eradicate, like the Gnostic Gospels, managed to survive. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1950s, hidden in a cave near Qumran in the Judean desert. Now, some of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Let me see your hand. you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. What body of water were the Dead Sea Scrolls found near? Dead Sea. That's how they got the name. We're pretty quick in in 2006. Um, Now, here in his quote, he says that they were found in the 50s. They were not found in the 50s. It wouldn't be hard to figure out when they were found. Archaeologists uh, discovered them in 1947. This was actually the archaeological find of the century. A Bedouin shepherd was out looking for a lost sheep. And so he was. He comes to this hole, this cave, and he throws a rock down in there. I guess trying to hit the sheep, so maybe it would bat him. I don't know why he was throwing a rock in there. Maybe he's just bored. Maybe he's like my son throwing the, whatever. But he throws a rock in there. Instead of hearing a thud when the rock hits, he hears a crash. What happened was he hit one of the vases which contained the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is just an incredible deal. If you if you want to read about it, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, there were. It was found in 1947, and there were no copies of any gospel, whether the Gnostic Gospels or the New Testament Gospels, that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. What was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls were mainly copies of the Old Testament and some uh, documents that were internal to the Qumran society. Now, you see, if, if almost every detail that Dan Brown says in his, in his novel is not true, how can you trust anything that Dan Brown brings up? Um, What what the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls were for Christians is rather than disproving Christianity, what it did was it confirmed that the Old Testament that we have is incredibly accurate compared to the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden about 200 years before Christ's time. So when you compare them with later copies and you find out that they are almost identical, then you can have a lot of faith that the Old Testament scriptures that we have in our Bibles today are accurate. That was the significance. Now, according um, according to the Da Vinci Code, this is this is just crazy. But it's hard to pack more misinformation in one quote than the Da Vinci Co- Code does in this one quote. Now, I will say this. The Da Vinci Code got a lot of people talking about spiritual things, and that's a good thing. The Da Vinci Code got a lot of people reading, and I think reading is a good thing. And And it got a lot of people talking about faith, and that's a real good thing. But as history... I think that it's, it's lacking. One scholar said this. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's the only book I know that after you've read it, you're dumber than when you, were start, than when you started. <laughs> the reason it matters is this. Our faith, the Christian faith, is based on history that you can go and you can study and you can find the reason we take the time, this three week series on the Da Vinci Code, four weeks of small group Bible studies where we're talking more in depth about this stuff. The reason we take it is because Christianity is not just some pretty good story. It's not just, you know, some, some deal that you can study that might add a nice metaphorical understanding to this life we live on this, this round planet that's spinning through space. God actually acted in history in flesh and blood. And here's how we know. The Apostle John said this in 1 John one one. From the very first day we were, uh, we were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The Word of Life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen and now we're telling you. What John is saying is, yo, this is real. I was there. I saw Him. I heard Him. I touched Him. I saw all the stuff and I believe in Him. He's changed my life and so I'm telling you... And then, here's the deal. John, the other apostles, many hundreds and thousands of of followers of Christ since then, John said, I will rot and die in prison before I will turn back on what I know is true. People say, well, isn't the Bible just, you know, uh, isn't it biased? Christian bias. Well, sure. But what's wrong with being biased when you have the truth? If I see a wreck and I go to a court of law... You may say that I'm biased because I tell the truth, because I saw what happened and here's what I relate. Well, you're biased because you like the person who was driving that car. No, here's what happened. These are the facts. So I want you to do something. I want you to check it out. I want you to do some investigation and I want you to make the call. Now, whatever you do, do not claim that Christianity is just a pretty story because Christianity itself never claimed that. Don't say that all faiths are simply somebody's fabrication of their imagination and that the stuff is not rooted in history. The Gnostic Gospels, the problem with them is they don't contain any um, political references to who was the leader at that time. Um, They don't uh, contain dates and places. Go to the Scripture over and over in the Bible. There are things that archaeology has confirmed. And the vast majority of the time when archaeologists have discovered things, guess what? They find the Bible is accurate. There's over 30 references to different places and dates and, and leaders in the book of Luke alone. And they've all proven to be accurate. They actually lived. They actually existed in history. So I want you to, uh, to study these things and I want you to think what John said. I know him. You can know him too. But I'll tell you one more way that you can find out about whether this God thing is true or not. And that's to read the Bible for yourself. I want to challenge you to get one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and just begin reading. Maybe you just start with the first two chapters of Luke where it talks about how Jesus was born, because what has happened through the centuries in the 2000 years since Christianity was born, what has happened is thousands upon thousands of lives have been changed because they encountered Jesus in the pages of Scripture. And I'm willing to bet if you'll read with an open mind that you can encounter this Jesus as well. So sit down with those gospels. If you have, if if that scares you, take one of our daily bread books at the back and uh, and begin to, um, begin to read those. If you have questions, ask us. Man, there's a group of us that would love to just sit down and talk with you. Come to my house tomorrow night. We're six to nine. We'll have supper and we're gonna we're gonna show the Da Vinci Code video discussing the Da Vinci Code. The Sokolowskis are hosting a, a small group on Wednesday night at their house. There are people who would love to just sit down and talk to you about this stuff. Write down your questions. We are not afraid of questions. One of the criticisms about the churches that I grew up in is that when people came with genuine questions, we kind of turned them away. We were afraid of them. We are never going to be afraid of them because history is on our side. Archaeology is on our side. Jesus Christ really lived and He changed lives. And I hope that will change yours as well. I want you to uh, take your registration cards...